There are turning points in the history of every nation. Moments in time where decisions are made that shape the nation and change the course that she is running. A turning point is an event or an era or some development in history that has brought about significant social, cultural, political, or even economic change. For example, the fall of Rome in 476 changed the political landscape in Europe, or the Black Plague in 1347 that decimated a quarter of the population in Europe, forever changed the landscape, or Martin Luther in 1517 when he rejected the wicked practices of the Church of Rome, kicking off the Protestant Reformation. Even in our own nation's history, there have been those moments that have shaped and changed our course. From the Civil War in the 19th century to the World Wars in the 20th century. From the Civil Rights Movement in the 20th century to the attacks on 9-11 in the 21st. There have been those events. There have been choices. There have been developments that have turned us in different directions. And today... In the particular passage we hope to study, we come to a major turning point in the history of the nation of Israel, a point that will forever change the direction of that nation. We've been studying in this book of 1 Samuel, uh, really the time period of the judges, a, a time of transition, a time away from judge to a time of a monarchy. The nation of Israel has gone through its ups and downs. From the beginning of the book, we have seen some of its greatest days and some of its darkest days. From its worst days with Eli and his two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, to the best days that we saw last week in a national call to repentance and trust in Christ or in God. Particularly in their putting away of idols. Though as we'll see, it was short-lived. The people have once again turned away from the Lord to a level of rebelliousness which has not been seen in centuries. We've arrived at one of those watershed moments in the nation's history. The question is for us, where were these choices that they make take them? What awaits these people that have abandoned their God? Friend, I invite you to turn to 1 Samuel this morning. In chapter 8, if you don't have a Bible, I just encourage you to grab one that's in front of you and turn to page 230 in the Pew Bible. You will be greatly benefited and encouraged by looking at God's Word this morning and seeing what He has to say. I'm looking for the large number 8 there on page 230. I'm going to begin reading in verse 1. When Samuel became old, he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn son was Joel, and the name of his second, Abiah. They were judges in Beersheba. Yet his sons did not walk in his way, but turned aside after gain. They took bribes and perverted justice. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Behold, you are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. This thing displeased Samuel when, he, when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. 
according to all the deeds that they have done from the day that I brought them out up out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are also doing to you. Now then, obey their voice. Only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the way of the king who shall reign over them. So Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking for a king from him. He said, these will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots and to his horsemen and to run before his chariots. And he will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties and some to plow his ground and to reap his harvest and to make his implements of war and the equipment of his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive orchards and give them to his servants. He will take the tenth of your grain and your vineyards and give it to, your, to his officers and to his servants. He will take your male servants and female servants and the best of your young men and your donkeys and put them to work. He will take the tenth of your flocks and you shall be his slaves. And in that day you will cry out because of your king whom you have chosen for yourself but the Lord will not answer you in that day. But the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel, and they said, No, but there shall be a king over us, that we also may be like all the nations, and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. And when Samuel had heard all the words of the people, he repeated them in the ears of the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey their voice and make them a king. Samuel then said to the men of Israel, Go every man to his city. What is the point of this particular story? I think we could summarize it in this way. God alone is the sovereign ruler over this universe. And by rejecting him, you will not receive the freedom that you seek, but only greater sorrow and pain. However... By trusting God alone, you will receive the true freedom you seek. So the purpose of our time today, the purpose of our sermon this morning, is to really warn us from rejecting God as the sovereign ruler of our lives and by positively submitting to the Lord Jesus Christ. So, so how is it that you make God king of your life? By submitting the Lord Jesus Christ. In our text this morning, we see really three responses to God's authority over our lives. We see three things here in the passage that I hope to point out to you. First, rejecting God always seems like a good idea. Rejecting God always seems like a good idea. Second, rejecting God never gives the promise it never gives the freedom it promises. Rejecting God never gives the freedom it promises. And thirdly, trusting God alone brings the true freedom we desire. Well, the first thing we see in the narrative before us is that rejecting God always seems like a good idea. We're confronted in the very beginning with yet another family problem, another leadership crisis for the nation. We are told words that are repeated, words that should have 
sunk into our ears as we heard them. I know it's been a few weeks and we're we're kind of making a fast-paced run through this book. But we are confronted in verse 1 with yet another old man. You'll remember that constant refrain uh, earlier in the letter, uh, earlier in the book with Eli. That Eli had grown heavy and old. And here we see again, like Eli before him, Samuel was a mortal man. He had grown old and it was time for someone to take his place. Now that retirement was before him, a succession plan needed to be in place. And as we see in the text, it appears that Samuel has created such succession plan with the natural successors, which would be his children. But there was a problem, just like with Eli's two sons, these sons of Samuel were not faithful. We are told that yet his sons did not walk in his ways, but turned aside after gain. They took bribes and perverted justice. It was history repeating itself all over again. Like Eli's wicked sons, Hophni and Phinehas, so Samuel's sons walked not in his way, but in the way of wickedness. And so this presented a particularly difficult situation, a leadership crisis in the nation's history. What were they to do? What it appears is that the elders think of a new plan. Perhaps they're frightened by what happened with Eli's sons. They don't want to see the same thing happening again with Samuel's sons. And so they quickly come up with a plan. What we find in the text is that Mr. Worldly Wisdom prevails. The elders reject judgeship for kingship. Judgeship was what God had instructed the people. It is how God had set up the nation of Israel. We're told in verse 4 that the elders called Samuel and say, Listen, we, wanna, we don't want another judge like you. We want a king like the nations around us. We want to be like those around us. And up to this point in the, in the nation's history, since they had come into the land, they had been governed by judges. Now, not to be confused with judges that we have today, you know, at the Supreme Court and elsewhere, they were similar in that way. Uh, they would settle cases of dispute uh, and point people back to the law of the Lord. But they were more than that. They would often unite the people in battle. They would help give structure. Because really at the time, uh, these were, were was not a unified nation. It was a collection of, of various city-states. And, and so these judges would bring together uh, this unity. And we see even in verse 4, the elders of Israel gathered together. We see indicated that there's some system in place in which the elders of the people are, are united together to make decisions. And, and so they come together and they want something different, but not entirely different. They want to be like the nations around them. The problem is, as we'll see, they were not to be like the nations around them. Rather, they were to be different and distinct. 
This is what the word holy means. When God says that they were to be a holy people, he means that they were to be set apart. They were to be different. They were to be strange to the world around them. And this strangeness would draw the nations to the Lord. But rather what we see is the people are drawn to the nations rather than the nations drawn to him. They were motivated by a desire to be like those around them. This is what was moving them to be or to make this decision. We see that refrain. Look at verse 5. We'll see what they say again. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. And then later uh, as they give that final uh, defiant no. But there shall be in verse 19. Uh, There shall be a king over us that we may be like all the nations. This is what was motivating them. But their request is not entirely wrong. If you have your Bibles open, just turn uh, to the left a a number of pages to Deuteronomy. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. See, learning your books of the Bible pays off. Um, You can get there faster. Deuteronomy chapter 17, um, verse 14, page 161. Deuteronomy chapter 17. Here we see the Lord make provisions for a future king. Now this is is some uh, hundreds of years earlier. When you come to the land that the Lord your God has given you and you possess it and dwell in it and then say, I will set a king over me like all the nations that are around me. Uh, Moses was a prophet. You may indeed set a king, verse 15, you may indeed set a king over you whom the Lord your God will choose. One from among your brothers you shall set as king over you. You may not put a foreigner over you who is not your brother. Only he must not acquire many horses for himself or cause the people to return to Egypt in order to acquire many horses. Since the Lord has said to you, you shall never return that way again. And he shall not acquire many wives for himself, lest his heart be turned away, nor shall he acquire for himself excessive silver and gold. The Lord gives provision here for a king. He says, you can have a king, but here's the thing. Uh, I get to pick the king. What What appears what's different here, what seems to be frustrating Samuel in our text this morning, what he says is, evil, and in the ESV it says that that this thing displeased Samuel. It's much stronger in the Hebrew. Literally, it was evil in his sight. Now, what are we to make of this? Why was it that this was evil? was because Samuel knew their real motives wasn't just to have a king. It was to be like the nations around them. More than that is that their motive was being fueled by a spiritual problem in that they did not want God as king. It is reflected in verses 19 through 20. In verses 19 through 20, you see why they want a king. That he can defeat our enemies. So in doing so, they are rejecting God. As king. And so God says in verse 7, obey the people's voice because they are not rejecting you, but they are rejecting me. God had ruled successfully over his people for 
many years, guarding them to freedom from their slavery in Egypt. He had provided them land and homes to live in. He had protected them by destroying their enemies. Even last week in chapter 7, we saw the Lord destroying the Philistines without a single member of Israel's army assisting. But their request for a king only revealed a deeper problem, a pattern that we see in verse 8. According to all the deeds that they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods. This was a a manifestation, a reflection of a deeper spiritual problem. This is what Bergen, uh, when he's commenting on this verse, he says, the people's demand for a king represented the political manifestation of a spiritual problem. They had a heart problem. And friends, this text reveals the heart problem of man. It reveals to us the heart of human depravity. And friend, it reveals that this is not just a problem with the nation of Israel, but this is a human problem. The Bible tells us that God had created Adam and Eve to live under his reign and rule. The language of Genesis 1, 2, and 3 is the language of king and subject. It's the language of rule and reign. God shared this rule and reign with Adam and Eve. He shared it with them, making them vice-regents. For them, the second chair was not enough. They wanted the crown. They wanted to be king. The Bible tells us that they rejected God as king. They rejected his rule and reign and set themselves up as rulers of this world. And their choice ended in devastation. By rejecting God as king, they had created a separation. A void had been created and God in his judgment cast them out of the garden and into the world. But there was grace for God was not done with his creation, but he promised to send another who would come. The one who was Jesus, who would perfectly submit to the father's will, who would perfectly obey God as king. He would submit to God's will so perfectly, so rightly that he would even go to the point of dying on the cross for our sin. As a substitute for sinners, Christ died for all those who have rejected God as king. For all of those who says, no, 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 thank you, God. I can run life my own life, my own way. The Bible tells us that he was raised from the dead for our justification. So that all those who would repent of their sins and trust in Christ might be saved. And this is the Christian gospel. And it is the only way that you can truly see God as king. The Bible makes evidently clear that God is king over the nations and over the cosmos. Throughout the Psalms, we see the constant refrain, Give attention to the cry of my king, my king, my God, for to you do I pray. The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations perish from his hand. Lift up your gates, O ancient doors, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. We see the same taught in 1 Chronicles and chapter 29. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heavens and the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. 
while we might reject God as king, that does not make him no longer a king. God still reigns sovereignly over this universe and over our lives. Friends, let's be honest. We do a lot of things that seem like a good idea. Like going and eating fast food. Always seems like a good idea at the time. But we know it ends in terrible ways. The Israelites thought that rejecting God would would be a good idea. They thought that they could follow the ways of the world, follow the wisdom of the world, and succeed. And, And so often for us, we think it is wise, we think it's a good idea to live life our own way, to reject God. Friend, I wonder this morning, how are you rejecting God? Perhaps your king is manifested in your worry and anxiety. You want to control everything in life, and when you sense that you don't have control, you grow frustrated, you worry, you might even become angry. Perhaps for you, your king is manifested in your depression and sadness. See, we want life on our terms and in our way, and so we get depressed. We get sad when we don't get what we want. Your life hasn't turned out the way you expected, so you wallow in self-pity. Or perhaps for you, it's, it's seen in your doubt and faithlessness. God can't free me from my addiction. He can't help me with my financial struggles. He can't save my marriage. Therefore, I will turn to worldly advice and worldly wisdom. Church, I wonder how are we doing the same in our own lives? How do we do it here in the church? It's how often are we tempted to go to business practices of the world and say, hey, you know, if we just put those in the church, then we'll see the kind of same successes that the world sees. We get the latest technique to attract people to our building, then we'll be successful and have larger crowds. Friend, you just need to settle this in your heart. There's a lot of ways to draw crowds, but that doesn't mean it's good. Do we as a congregation reflect more the world around us or the God of the Bible? Do we have in our hearts and our our thinking the the same as the Israelites? Let's, Let's be like them. Let's be like them and then we will be successful. This is what they did. Looking around at the world before them, The Jews thought the secret to success was following in the footsteps of the world. Following the way of wickedness always seems like a good idea. But as time will tell, it never ends the way we hope. Rejecting God, rejecting God never ends the way we think. It will always end in destruction. Well, the second thing we see in this passage is that rejecting God never gives the freedom it promises. You see, what was attached to their rejection of God wasn't in exchange for something worse. In their mind, they were exchanging God 
for freedom. You see, that's the nature of rejecting God. You reject God so that you'll be free. But that never is the case. When we give up God as king, another takes his throne. In verse 9, in verse 9 of chapter 8, we are, I think, I hope, we're surprised by the development of the passage. Verse 9 of chapter 8, in a surprising fashion, God grants their request. He says, obey their voice. Make them a king. I can only imagine what Samuel's face looked like that day. What do you mean? Like, I thought you wanted me to, like, kill them, or like you were going to open the earth and swallow them up. Like Moses, you were going to make me the leader forever. What's the deal, God? How is it that you can allow them to do such a thing? But but you see, God always takes us along, takes us along, indulges us a bit. You see, God was going to use this request to to display his glory. He, He would take this request and raise up a faithful king to shepherd his people. But the Lord commanded Samuel to warn the people. Listen, I want you to know what you're getting into. So we see that in verse 9. Now then, obey their voice. Only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the way of the king who shall reign over them. Full disclosure, God says. Let me give you a a full picture of what life is going to be like under this king that you want. Friends, I hope you see this sort of passing comment I want to make here. Notice the implication of the, of the request. They have to ask permission for a king. This implies they really weren't free to make the decision themselves. If you have to ask for permission to do something, then someone has authority over you, right? The fact that they're asking for permission reflects The fact that they weren't really as free as they thought they were free. God was using this sovereignly for his own glory. And this is what God does. He uses the prayers of his people. He uses even our foolish requests and navigates them for his own sovereign purposes. Samuel in verses 10 through 18 warns them of the future to come, doesn't he? It's a bleak future for them. He tells them what to expect. He says, look, you want a king? Great. This is what you get. This is the trouble that's going to come from you. What the people wanted was freedom. They wanted peace. But as you see in the text, this king will not deliver what they want. He will not give them the kind of freedom they desire. Rather, as Samuel makes clear, the king they desire, the king like the nations around them, would prove to give them slavery, not freedom. So I want to distinguish here very quickly that that what God is, is talking about here, what he is warning them about, is the king they wanted versus the king God will provide. But nonetheless... We notice throughout this section, I'm not going to read it again, but I, but I hope that your eyes just gauge, uh, gaze upon the text. See this repeated word throughout the text, take, 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 take. These will be the king. He will take your sons. He will appoint. He will take. He, verse 13, he's going to take. Verse 14, he's going to take. Verse 15, he's going to take. Verse 16, he's going to take. Verse 17, he's going to take. He's going to be a taker. 
going to take more than you expect, more than you want. It's going to be like some of you today who fear big government. Afraid of a big government. It's going to take all my stuff. Take all my possessions. Well, Samuel is warning. Listen, if you, you get a king, this is what he's, going to, it's, he's going to take everything. And he ends the warning with this climax in verse 17. And I hope you saw it. And you shall be his slaves. This is not a very beautiful picture of the future. Samuel doesn't mince words. He's frustrated and irritated. And he says, listen, slaves you shall be again. The point is clear. Rejecting God doesn't give you the freedom you desire. It promises freedom. It looks good. But it never gives the freedom it desires. Samuel concludes by the sobering response by the Lord. When you cry out because of your king whom you have chosen for yourself, the Lord will not answer you. This is the most frightening passage. I studied this week. I mean, I was just utterly frightened by that verse. In other words, God is saying, listen, you made the bed, now you get to sleep in it. You you chose your sin. You chose to rebel against me. You rejected me. That's all good. Have fun. See you later. Don't come whining to me whenever that king abuses you, when that king takes everything from you. Don't come crying out to me and thinking that I'm just going to bend my knee and bow my will and do what you want. Notice the emphasis that, that God makes in the text in verse 18. When you cry out because of your king, notice he didn't say my king, the one I appoint, your king whom you have chosen for yourself. Three times the second person is used to emphasize this truth that that's your king, not my king. I'm going to give you a king, and he's going to be a good king. He's going to be after a man after my own heart. But this first king of yours, you're going to get what you paid for with him. And so it was true in 1 Samuel in 28 later, uh, many, many years later, this is what we hear. When Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him. There had come a time in the nation's history under the leadership of Saul where God stopped listening and he stopped answering. Friends, this is the most frightening thing that you will hear today. That there comes a point in your life and it's called death, for which you cannot cry out for forgiveness. Where there is no bending of the will of God. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day that you repent of your sins and trust in Christ. Friends, so often we want sin and we want it now. And then, when we've had enough of it, we cry, God, free us. Free us. Friends, there may come a day in your life that he doesn't answer that cry. What are you seeking freedom in today? Is it power? Is it money? Is it sex? Is it in gaining more stuff? Do you find freedom in, in your stuff, in your material possessions? Do you, do you seek freedom in your job? Seek freedom in your education? Friends, these things will never make make you free, they, they will only make you a slave. And what are you enslaved to today? 
Will you see the destructive ends that slavery, these, these items bring? These kings will never give you the freedom you seek. Rejecting God always offers this promise. It, it will always. Sin comes with a promise. The problem is, is that promise is not guaranteed. Sin always promises freedom, always promises joy, always promises happiness. The problem is Satan never, will never, no not never, deliver fully on that promise. There's a reason why sinning is easy. Because you like it and it feels good and it's wonderful and makes you happy. The problem is with sin, it's fleeting. It flitters away. It flies away. It doesn't stay. And so we have to run after it and get more and more of it. Honestly, friends, the problem is we just, we're really not that good at running our lives. When we give ourselves over to choice, we are exchanging one master for the next. While rejecting God may promise freedom, it never will deliver. Only by trusting God, by trusting Him alone, do we receive the freedom our hearts desire. There is hope in this text, and I hope you see it. Let's get to the grace. Let's get to the good stuff. Verses 19 through 22. Trusting God alone brings the true freedom we desire. While they sought a king like the world, God in his grace provides the king they needed. Friends, I hope you see that's the point of all of this. That God is providing the king they needed, not the king they wanted. Again, the heart of the matter, as I've already indicated in verses 19 through 20, is that they were afraid. They were afraid, perhaps, of the Philistines and the Amorites. They were, they, they had seen maybe some new weapon that they had created. We don't know what it was particularly, but they had lost faith in God's ability to deliver. They had developed a spiritual amnesia having forgotten all the times in their recent history that God had delivered them, how God had destroyed their enemies. You ever wonder in the Old Testament, if you ever read through the Old Testament, I encourage you to do that. Do that regularly. Here's why. Because you're going to see a story repeated all throughout. And it's get, it gets picked up in the, in the New Testament as well. It's the, it's the Exodus. The Exodus from Egypt is a story that is retold over and over and over and over again through all the pages of Scripture. Why? To remind God's people that He is able to deliver, that He is able to save. But fear rather than faith ruled their hearts. And defiantly, we see in verse 19, they say, no, but there shall be a king over us. No, they say. An emphatic rejection of God. No, we will not go God's way. Like a defiant child, they stomp their feet, they, they close their ears, and they cry, no, we want it our way. We want it now. They double down and, and refuse God's will. And they desire to have a king like the rest of the world. Friends, I hope you see the grace in this passage. Give them a king. If you will stare at the text long enough and allow it to wash over and if you think about what God is doing, He says, give them a king. 
Give us a king, they demanded. Okay, I'll give you a king. I'll give you one who will shepherd you, who will guide you, a king after my own heart. You want a king like the world? That's fine, you can have him. But eventually I will dispose him and I will set up my king. My king David, a man after my own heart. But friends, David wasn't the only king who followed after God. There would be another. One who would come many years later, a descendant of David, one of David's great-grandchildren. And in Luke, the angel Gabriel says to this man's mother, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom there shall be no end. Jesus is the king that God allows in this text. This is the king. Give them a king. This request made way for Jesus. This passage Paul appeals to in Acts 13, when he's recounting the nation's history, he actually quotes this particular text, and he says this, Then they asked for a king, and God gave them the son, or excuse me, gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin for 40 years, and when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king of whom he testified and said, I have found in David the son of Jesse a man after my heart who will do all my will. Of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus, as he promised. God, give us a king. Give us a king. And God gave them the king they needed. Friends, do you see the irony of this story? Oh, there's good irony here. It's beautiful. They rejected God as king. I get this. They rejected God as king. God, we don't want you to be king. Okay. We, we want you to give us a king. Okay, I'll give you a king. I'll give you a king. And so God gave them a king. And that king was God. He gave them himself to be king. You see the circle that happens here? The king, they dispose God as king, and God sets up a king, and the king is God. Jesus Christ the Lord. And the only way of worshiping God as king is by worshiping King Jesus. I hope you've seen this morning that running your life your own way is foolish. Honestly, you stink at running your life. I stink at running my life. Every one of us fails at this. And I hope that you will not believe the devastating lie that rejecting God gives you freedom. Stop going your own way and trust in Jesus. Submit to God's will and serve Him only. Submit to God's will by learning what God's will is, by studying the Scriptures. And there you will see the will of God clearly displayed before you. Friend, frankly, if you are not obeying Jesus, then Jesus is not your king. If you are not obeying Jesus' commands, then you are not following Jesus. You can tell people all day long that you're a Christian, that you're following Jesus, but if you're not obeying Him, 
If you're not loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and loving your neighbor as yourself, if you are not fulfilling the law of Christ, then brothers, sisters, do not be deceived. You are not following Jesus. You're following some other king. Obey the Lord and follow Him. By trusting God alone, we receive that true freedom that we desire. And this true freedom is found in Christ Jesus. By submitting to His will rather than our own will. By submitting to His rule and reign over our lives. By worshiping, acknowledging Him and following Him wherever He leads. We look for security in various ways. We want to be secure. We ask questions like, do we have enough locks on the house? Doors locked, are they secure? Do we have enough money saved for retirement? Are we healthy enough to live longer? Consider those, maybe for many of you, maybe you are one of them. Consider those that a number of decades ago spent thousands of dollars to to build fallout shelters during the Cold War. Were they wise? Were they lucky? But we want security. And we often want it at any cost. And often in in our lives we recognize that good leaders bring security. We feel safe when our borders are protected. This is why building walls is so appealing to so many. We want to be secure. But friend, King Jesus brings a kind of security, a very different A very different freedom. He brings a security that is eternal, a security from judgment. Submitting to and following Jesus is the only way that you accept God as king in your life. It's the only way. It's only by submitting to him. And so our prayer this morning, help us, O Lord, to see you as king in our life by submitting to your rule and reign now. Eternal Father in heaven, this is our prayer. It's our only prayer. Help us, Lord. Help us to see you as our king. And help us to submit to your rule and reign over our lives. We ask this for your glory and our eternal good. Amen.